Hello, everybody. Welcome back into the Penn State 365 podcast. My name is Dylan Callen Crowley, beat writer and crew analyst here at Nindy Nation, part of the Rivals Network covering Penn State football and athletics. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Marty Leap and Anthony Hazan. Gentlemen, I can't believe I'm saying it, but it is finally game week for the first time. And uh, what what would that be? Not eight, eight months, nine months at this point. Uh, Penn State opens up their season on Thursday evening against the Purdue Boilermakers, 8 p.m. on Fox. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but it's finally here. Uh, how are we feeling as college football has uh, started up this past Saturday? I mean, you got to feel good, man. It, it felt great to turn on the TV and watch some college football. Incredible game between Nebraska and Northwestern this past weekend. Um, but I'm not hoping for an incredible game on Thursday. I'm hoping that Penn State goes into West Lafayette and takes care of business and settles my nerves a little bit because I'm definitely nervous going into game one. You know, you never know what you're going to get the first game of the season. Still some bugs to work out with the offense and the defense. And that happens on both sides. So hopefully Penn State gets the job done. Nine months to the day, Dylan. On Thursday, will be nine months to the day when Penn State last played a football game on New Year's Day against Arkansas in the Outback Bowl, and hopefully this thing will go a heck of a lot better than that Outback Bowl did. Um, yeah, just excited to have it back. It's it's one thing that, you know, never never take this stuff for granted. It's the best four or five months out of the calendar year. And if there's one thing that the COVID season really taught me two years ago is to never take this stuff for granted and enjoy every second of it. So, yeah, I'm just excited to have Penn State football back and excited to have it to talk about. Absolutely. Before we get into previewing the game, just a quick couple of notes from James Franklin's press conference on Monday uh, that I want to quickly go over here and uh, get your guys' take on because there are some uh, interesting uh, notes in, from that. Uh, for, for starters, I, I got to say, we're recording this Tuesday night Um uh, my clock this week has been totally thrown off by this Thursday football game. It feels like a Wednesday night or Thursday for me right now, not a Tuesday. Um, and having Franklin talk on Monday was – it made it even weirder. Um, but, again, some big notes out of that press conference by Franklin. And we'll start off with the big one. Uh, Drew Alvar has unseated for at least week one uh, Christian uh, Veyer there since we were all mispronouncing that for quite a while uh, as the Nittany Lions backup quarterback Kent into this game against Purdue everybody thought Vieira was going to be the backup in head into the season and that Alar and Prabudo would both redshirt and maybe see minimal time but uh, going into week one it is going to be Alar as the number two quarterback uh, that was pretty surprising to me but uh, if you're a Penn State fan uh, obviously, Lard being a five-star quarter or four-star, some places have him as a five-star quarterback coming in. Uh, that that's what you want to see out of a young talent like this. You you want him to rise up the depth chart quickly because uh, that means, to a degree, his skill set and what he's doing on the practice field um, seems to be translating well to the college game. Yeah, to me, this is a sign of Drew Lard winning the job and taking it away, not. Christian Vayar losing it. Um, yeah, the kid might be the most physically gifted quarterback to come through Penn State and God knows how long. May have been the most gifted, most talented quarterback in the country last year, regardless of classification. 
So to see him come to campus and be ahead of schedule by all accounts, it seems, and win that job away from a quarterback who has proven he can win Big Ten football games says a lot about Alar, and I'm just very excited for, you know, most likely if all goes according to schedule, week two against Ohio to get to see him out there slinging the rock around at Beaver Stadium and live game action. Yeah, no, I I will say that uh, when I first saw the news on Twitter, I was pretty shocked. You know, um, my first thought was, is Veyer hurt this week? Because they, you know, they kept saying like, is you know he's going to be the guy for the Purdue game, so the backup. So I'm thinking, is Veyer hurt? Is he suspended? Did something happen there? But it hasn't seemed like that has. I don't know if Dylan, you've heard anything, but it hasn't seemed like he is. So it sounds like Alar just took the job outright, like you said, Marty. And if that's the case, yeah, man, you got to be excited about that because. You know, he is the five-star kid, you know, number one quarterback in the country in last year's class. You want him to be making strides like this early on. And I think after what happened, after his blue-white game performance where, you know, he didn't really play very well, I think a lot of us thought, all right, you know, he's he's going through the growing pains. You give him the year to develop, and we'll see him next year and see how he does in that quarterback battle. But, you know, he's got the backup job for now at least. It seems like it's going to be an ongoing competition, but – yeah, you got to be excited of what this means potentially for the future of Penn State football. Absolutely. And Franklin did know that this is not something that is set in stone. Alar and Vare will continue to battle throughout the rest of the season for that backup job. Uh, so that will just be something to monitor as we go forward. Uh, but definitely a big uh, note coming out of that press conference on Monday. A couple other notes. I'll just quickly go through them and then uh, you guys give your thoughts. Um uh, the big transfers in Chop Rom defensive end Chop Robinson and offensive lineman Hunter Norzad are both expected to play significant slash starter uh, snaps in terms of quantity. Uh, no surprise there. Robinson has really changed, I think, the outlook of that defensive line in the eyes of the coaching staff since he arrived on campus. Norzad, he's going to be a backup uh, to start this season at least, but uh, the Nittany Lions are ready to uh, play him at both left and right guard when needed this year. He's going to rotate in both positions. And really, James Franklin said it's going to be a goal this year to really just rotate the offensive line more throughout a game and throughout the season to keep your starters fresh later in games and to keep them healthy as the season goes on. Uh, you know, if, if Penn State is able to put together a strong start here, um, those late season games could be all the more important for them and keeping your starters healthy going into those late-season games and fresh will be important. Um, at wide receiver, Penn State has five receivers, that, and Gordon Franklin, that he would feel comfortable putting out there with a sixth uh, being uh, on the edge. Assuming those five are Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley, Con- Keandre Lambert-Smith, Malik Mega, and Trey Wallace, who uh, Sean Clifford actually brought up on Monday as well during his uh, media availability when asked about wide receivers who stood out to him in camp. Uh, Wallace was the first one he mentioned. Uh, who that sixth wide receiver could be, Taylor Stubblefield uh, met with the media on Tuesday and was talking about uh, true freshman wide receiver Caden Saunders. Uh, and it sounds like Saunders may be that sixth guy. Though, of course, they have guys like Jaden Don and uh, Liam Clifford and others who could also step into that role, possibly. Uh, but the depth is there at wide receiver. Uh, at middle linebacker, Tyle Elston will get the start in at the Purdue game, but 
uh, Kobe King will also see significant snaps. Uh, Barney Moore, non-shockingly, is the starting punter heading into the Purdue game uh, after being awarded the scholarship last week. Place kicking duties will go to Jake Pinnegar and kickoff duties will ro- rotate between uh, Gabriel Nuosu and Sanders Hadek. And then other notables, uh, Katron Allen was what Franklin called the surprise of camp, uh, thanks to his ability to uh, be a big playmaker as well as the production he had this camp. And uh, J.B. Nelson was banged up in camp, so his development is a little bit behind, but the Nittany Lions do expect him to be a contributor later this season. What's your thoughts on all that? Yeah, um, I'll just quickly, because that, that was a lot of great information, Dylan. I appreciate you sharing that as always. But uh, I'm just going to quickly touch on Hunter Norzad and the offensive line right now. The fact that, you know, a guy that was transferring in as a grad transfer, he was transferring in to start. And the fact that he's a guy that is going to be like a backup, kind of like a first guy off the bench situation at guard really says a lot to me about where Landon Tangwall and especially Salim Wormley are in their development right now. You know, I think that for the first time in a while, Penn State's got a couple of guys, you know, and a little bit of depth that they can trust and and they can lean on, you know, on this offensive line. Will it pay dividends on game day? You know, it's still obviously a big wait and see mode, but I think that's the biggest news from all of those updates is that, you know, Penn State's got a little bit of depth at offensive line and more than uh, we might have realized. Uh, I, to me, everything you said, Anthony, I agree with Dylan. Great information as always. But, man, Chop Robinson has me excited. Five-star kid in high school, known for his ability to go and get the quarterback. Was a midseason freshman All-American last year at Maryland. Um, yeah, you mentioned it, Dylan, how it really changes the outlook of this defensive line. And I totally agree with that. I think Penn State's ability to go and get the quarterback this year could be something that's going to be deadly for Big Ten quarterbacks. I mean, if you look at this line, you could get teams in obvious passing downs. Have Chop Robinson and Deza Isaac coming off the edge. You could blitz a Curtis Jacobs, have a deny Dennis Sutton, guys like Hakeem Beeman and Zane Durant inside. There, there's a lot of potential there to be one hell of a pass rush. And a big part of that is Chop Robinson being a guy who has really – by all accounts, really just taken to being a full-time hand-in-the-ground defensive end, which is something new to him. I, I agree 100% with both of you on those uh, comments. Uh, and then finally, I will say uh, on top of these notes, uh, with Landon Tangwall that Anthony brought up, uh, Juice Scruggs met with the media on Monday as well. And he, he spoke very highly of Tangwall saying how he, he still forgets that he's still considered just a, a freshman or in, you know, just in his second year this year uh, because of how advanced he is in his uh, abilities so far and just where he is in his game. Uh, so big things. I, I think Penn State's expecting to have Tangwall and Norzad both this year. And then you can't forget about on the other side there in uh, Sal Warmly. All right, moving on. Are you, are you guys ready to actually now talk about this Penn State-Purdue game on uh, Thursday? Absolutely. Before we do that, Anthony, we should give a shout-out to our sponsor. Are you a displaced corporate executive or want to put your career in your own hands? Are you an 
experienced entrepreneur wanting to diversify? Well, Adam Goldman can help. Adam is a Nini Nation member, a Nini Lions fan, and a franchise veteran for over a decade. Using his expertise, he helps others find their American dream through a very thorough and free consultation process. 100% free. So what do you have to lose? Your own new business made easy. Find your perfect franchise at FranchiseCoach.net or call Adam anytime at 844-800-3726. Again, 844-800-3726 or at FranchiseCoach.net. All right. Well, let's dive right into it. Like I said, Thursday, 8 p.m. on Fox, though. Uh, Be sure to check your local cable listings. Um, since uh, President Biden is set to make a speech on Thursday night at, I believe, around the, maybe at 8 o'clock or just around the same time. Uh, the Penn State game, depending where you are, may get pushed to FS1, so be sure to check that out, uh, depending uh, where uh, you're located. I do know some of the local stations in PA are still planning on carrying uh, the Penn State game on Fox. All right, let's get right into it then. Um Purdue is an interesting uh, team heading into this year, coming off a 9-4 season. Obviously, they have lost quite a bit of talent from last year. Wide receiver David Bell has gone to the NFL. Wide receiver Milton Wright has moved on. uh, Sorry, has not moved on. Has been ruled academically ineligible, so he will not participate in the season. Wide receiver Jackson Anthrop no longer with the program. Defensive end George Karloftis no longer with the program. Jalen Alexander no longer there. Marvin Grant no longer there. The list goes on and on. This Purdue team lost quite a bit of talent from last year. Now, the big name, of course, in quarterback Ian O'Connell does return. He had a fantastic 2021 uh, season, completing 71% of his passes, which is an incredible uh, amount of efficiency uh, for um, 3,712 yards and 28 touchdowns, just 11 interceptions. Uh, he, he's an official. He's a Efficient quarterback, to say the least. As long as he's healthy, the Purdue offense is going to be dangerous. They're going to be able to put up points. The question about the Boilermakers offense coming into this week is who is he going to be able to throw to? They do return tight end Peyton Durham, who is their top returning uh, receiver from last year. He had 45 receptions, 467 yards, and six touchdowns last year. But out of all those yards and touchdowns, in three games, he recorded over uh, about 75% of those yards. And then in the other seven games, he uh, was really just ineffective. Uh, now, he did battle some injury concerns last year, which will be a thing to watch going into this game. Uh, but, yeah, the big question is in this Purdue offense is, who is Aiden O'Connell going to throw to? They're not a great rushing team. They never have under Jeff Brom. It's unlike that changes, so. Uh, this is a one-dimensional offense for Penn State's defense to face, but they're still going to have quite a bit of success, in my opinion. What's your guys' thoughts on this Purdue offense as we hands this game? Like you said, with the Purdue offense, is all about Aiden O'Connell and the passing attack. They're going to look to throw 35, 40 times a game. They struggled to run the ball more than Penn State did last year. Um, but also, like you said, they lose a lot. You know, tight end Payne Durham's a good player, but he's battled injuries throughout his career. It seems like they really were going to be banking on their number two tight end, Garrett Miller, to be a big part of the passing attack this season. They lost him for the year very early in camp. Uh, they bring in Charlie Jones from Iowa, a transfer wide receiver. He's probably going to be wide receiver one for the Boilermakers. And 
they're going to rely on him big time. But yeah, that's one of the things with this game that I think really does work well for Penn State is if you look at what is expected to be Penn State's strength this year on defense, it's the secondary for sure. It might be, you know, one of the best secondaries in the Big Ten, if not the entire Power Five, and a pass rush that could be really, really good. So if you're going up against a team that wants to throw the ball 40-plus times a game, you need a good secondary, you need a good pass rush. Penn State has both of those things, and that is definitely something that I think is going to be a work largely in the favor of Penn State on Thursday night is – personnel wise and what these teams want to do and what these teams are good at is it's all a good matchup for Penn state's defense against Purdue's offense. Yeah, no, that's a great analysis, Marty. I, for me, this, this game really comes down to, like you said a million times and we're boards repeating again, Aiden O'Connell, it comes down to can Penn state stop Purdue's passing attack? You know, if Aiden O'Connell goes off for 400 yards and four touchdowns, Penn State might find themselves in some trouble. But if they can force Purdue to be one-dimensional and they're able to contain that passing attack, Penn State could be very successful in this game. So, yeah, I don't have too much to add other than I'm not threatened by Purdue's running game. I don't see a David Bell in that offense that Aiden O'Connell is going to have to throw to. So... I'm be very interested to see how this secondary holds up. I think that's going to be the key story of this entire game for Penn State. Absolutely. And, and Marty did bring up a tr- transfer from Iowa, Charlie Jones. Now, Jones uh, was most effective last year as a, a returner. He was the Big Ten returner of the year uh, with uh, an average of 25.4 yards per kick return, had a touchdown as well. Um, Punt return, not as effective, but it can be effective there as well. Uh, but as a wide receiver, he he had a, he was quality, but it's still a little bit unproven. Had just 21 receptions last year for 323 yards. He's never had to be the guy. Uh, so can he now be the guy with Purdue? We'll have to wait and see. And, and I think we'll find that out very early on Thursday night. Uh, and like Marty also said, Purdue is going to throw the ball 40 plus times a game this season like they did last season. You mean, I mean, you look at their stats from last year, the least amount of passes that Aiden O'Connell threw last year in a single game was 33 against Indiana. And, and Indiana, we know that defense last year is a defense that you could really do whatever you pleased on. I mean, Purdue is a team that really couldn't run the ball last year, and they ran uh, the ball for 167 yards against the Hoosiers. Uh, but – Seeing that Penn State's front seven is, I think, going to be strong enough to keep Purdue's running game at bay, the passing game is going to be where Purdue, if they're going to win this game, is going to have to have their most success. So you're definitely looking at the Boilermakers throwing the ball 40, even upwards of 50 times in this game on uh, Thursday. And if you're Penn State, on paper, your biggest strength on the defense, I think, this year is your secondary. You have to like that matchup of going up against a little bit of an unexperienced and unproven wide receiver room against a very deep secondary, not to mention where you just don't have a large group of corners that can play at a very high level, but you have three or four safeties that you can put on the field at any time and expect big plays out of uh, when they're on the field. I, I mean, I think that, while I think getting O'Connell is going to put up numbers because he is incredibly efficient, 
I think this is a really favorable matchup for Penn State, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if O'Connell, yes, does complete maybe 60 to 65% of his passes for 250, 300 yards, but also ends up throwing maybe two costly interceptions along the way. I think another huge key to this game is going to be can this newly formed defensive line group put pressure on Aiden O'Connell? If they can get to the quarterback, you know, guys like Chop Robinson, Adiza Isaac, maybe even deny Dennis Sutton to some degree, if, if they can come in and they can cause havoc for this offensive line of Purdue, which I don't know too much about this offensive line, but I don't think they're really anything to write home about. If they can get to the quarterback, that could really cause some turnovers for Purdue and allow Penn State to capitalize off of them. So, yeah, I will be watching that battle in the trenches to see if if those guys can make an impact early. Yeah, Purdue's offensive line last year, uh, we we talked about the running games inefficiency quite a bit. Uh, On average last year, Purdue had 30 carries per game for just 84 yards. Just terribly uh, terrible on the ground. And then they allowed 29 sacks, uh, which uh, according to the great uh, Phil Still uh, preview, uh, was about 5% of all dropbacks. So, I mean, Penn State, I, I it's going to come down for Penn State on that front seven one how, where Chop Robinson is in his development as a defensive end. Obviously, he's looked good this spring, but can it translate into game uh, action? And then Adisa Isaac, is he ready for that quote-unquote breakout season? Is his ankle ready for game action? I mean, pra- you, you can simulate this stuff in practice and scrimmages all you want, but until it is, you know, Full go, whistle to whistle, football, hard hitting. You don't know how you're you're gonna react to some of these things coming off an Achilles injury that he is. Um, but I agree with you there, Anthony. I don't think this. I think this Purdue offensive line will be improved somewhat from last year. But is, is this offensive line going to be you know uh, keep Aiden O'Connell off the ground completely? Absolutely not. And I don't see them getting significantly better in run blocking either. Marty, any thoughts? One more note I'll add on the Purdue offensive line versus Penn State's defensive line, especially in pass protection. You know, we have talked that nauseam on here all summer long about deep Penn State's defensive line could be, and this is the kind of game where you really could see that pay off, where if you're in the fourth quarter and Aiden O'Connor's dropping back for the 45th or 50th time, and that offensive line is starting to get gassed, and you can be rotating three, four guys at defensive tackle, three, four guys at defensive end throughout the game that will allow you to really be able to mix and match there in the fourth quarter, get fresher guys out there, keep the likes of Isaac and Chopper Robinson healthy to go out for the quarterback. So I think that is something that could really benefit benefit Penn State in this matchup too. Also notably on the offensive line, Purdue is replacing both of their starting left and right tackles. or So, so replacing both their tackles from last season which could be favorable for Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson uh, or Nick Tarburton, Danny Den- uh, Deny Dennis Sutton, um, and uh, and the rest of the Penn State uh, defensive line rotation. Talk talked quite a bit here about the Purdue offense. Let's talk about the Penn State offense this year, uh, heading into this game. 
I, I think if you're a Penn State fan, you look at what the offense was last year, it was disappointing. You know, with Mike Yersich at the helm, Sean Clifford as a fifth-year quarterback last year, an offensive line that was experienced, you were hoping that they were going to put up, um, you know, 35-plus points per game. They didn't end up doing that for a variety of reasons. This year, however, I think while not a ton of names have changed, obviously you lost guys like Jahan Dotson, I I think the Penn State offense is in a much better situation to be more explosive this year and just to be overall a much better flowing offense um, for all four quarters. And a big reason of that is something we talked about all fall, the running back room. Because obviously Kevon Lee returns this year after being the starter last season. Did a quality job behind a struggling offensive line, average five yards per carry. But he doesn't have much explosiveness. He's not a very shifty running back. They do add, however, Nick Singleton to that room, who's expected to make an instant impact this year and is, according to James Franklin, expected to see significant snaps against Purdue. Uh, Sorry, I think according to J. Juan Sider is uh, expected to see significant snaps. And so is uh, Catron Allen. Uh, But with Singleton and a little bit of Allen as well, Penn State is bringing more explosiveness to this running back room and more shiftiness, which is going to cause opposing defense to respect the Penn State run game even more this year. And it should, therefore, open up a lot more passing opportunities for Penn State, uh, whether that is to the tight ends or the wide receivers. I think the offense is going to be much better with those two running backs now a part of the offense. And I think Sean Clifford, he's now a six-year quarterback. I mean, there's not many quarterbacks in the country more experienced than him. He has a bolo notch. He has a better understanding of this offense now that it's in year two of this offense, which, of course, I think is another big factor going to this year. Sean Clifford is finally in the same system for more than one year. And I think that's going to play huge dividends for uh, Sean Clifford in the Penn State offense. You look at what he was doing last year. He was among the top quarterbacks in the country. He was gaining Heisman consideration going into the Iowa game. And then once he got hurt, it just kind of all fell apart for him. He, he still was decent after that injury, but he just never found the consistency in either the Penn State's offense. I think a healthy Sean Clifford having that second year in the year search offense is, is going to be big for them. And I, I'm expecting big things out of the Nitty Lions on Thursday night offensively. I, too, think we can see this offense take a big step forward this season. You know, you mentioned last year and it being a disappointment, and yes, it was. And I know, again, that's something we've talked about a bunch, and there were, there were red flags there even before that Iowa game. But if Clifford doesn't get hurt against Iowa, who knows where the offense actually finishes the season. Now, things just came completely unglued at that point. But, you know, Sean Clifford, a year or two of the same offense coordinator for the first time in his career as a starter, cannot you cannot understate how important that is the, the talents there at wide receiver, there's talents there at tight end. It's going to come down to this running game. Can the offensive line take a step forward? Can these running backs improve? I'm very optimistic about the running backs, largely because of Nick Singleton. I mean, you bring in a guy who's a five-star recruit, number one running back in the country, you're, you're going you're gonna to have high hopes. And the kid seems explosive, just fast, physical, just everything you want out of a running back. And I think Catron Allen might already be the second best running back on the roster behind Singleton. And then that leaves you Kevon Lee, who 
for all his shortcomings, I think he still averaged almost five yards carry last year. So the talents there running back, it's the offensive line, man. I, we've had, we've talked about this offensive line seemingly every year since James Franklin has been here. And we always said, man, if the line can just finally take a step forward, finally take a step forward. And with the offensive line, it's always going to be, I'll believe it when I see it, but I think there's reason to be cautiously optimistic. I mean, Anthony noted on earlier how much quality depth there appears to be, which is something they have not had in the past with this offensive line or the James Franklin era. So I, I do think there's a reason for optimism, reason for hope. We see the offensive line improve. And if the offensive line can take a step forward for Penn State, man, that can really open up this running game, especially if you can get Nick Singleton back there cooking. And if you can keep Sean Clifford upright, because I think last year under Mike Yurcich's guidance, the biggest step forward, the biggest progress we saw from Sean Clifford was his ability to keep his eyes down the field and go through his reads a lot better than he had in the past. And if the offensive line can give him time to do that with the talent Penn State will have a wide receiver, I think that it will just go a very long way for this offense. And again, I think Purdue is a good matchup here because Purdue's defensive line, I know they have some depth concerns with some injuries to defensive tackle going into this game. I think this could be one where, you know, we mentioned the depth of Penn State's defensive line, maybe wearing out Purdue's offensive line as the game goes on. I think the same could be said for Penn State's offensive line against Purdue's defensive line. And this could be a game where we get into the fourth quarter and we're seeing Penn State able to run the ball for four or five yards at a clip and run the clock out, which is something they have not been able to do in a game since 2019. Man, Marty, you are on it today. I don't even have to say too much. You're just covering everything. This is beautiful. But, yeah, I 100% agree with everything that you said. And and for anybody that's concerned about this team because they don't think that Sean Clifford can take a step forward, I've got great news for you. He doesn't need to take a step forward for this offense to be considerably better. The problem is the offensive line absolutely does because the problem last year with this team, besides the lack of backup quarterback when Clifford got hurt, was the fact that, like you said, they couldn't run the ball to save the freaking lives. And that was a problem before Clifford got hurt. So if Nick Singleton, Catron Allen, Kevon Lee, whoever is back there, if they have holes opened up to run through and Penn State can generate offense on the ground where they're getting 100 yards a game or at least close to it you know this offense opens up tremendously wide receiver like you said they don't have a Jahan Dotson this year although I think Parker Washington or even Mitchell Tinsley could potentially produce like he can I don't think any one guy is going to put up Dotson like numbers but I think the depth across that entire receiver room is considerably better than it was last year. I don't even think I could have given you what the two deep would have been last year. I think it was that thin. This year, I could give you the two deep, potentially even get into the three deep at receiver. I love the receiver room this year. I think it's just overall better. Tight ends, I'm really hoping to see a lot more Theo Johnson this year. You know, I think uh, Tyler Warren should have a role in this offense. Brenton Strange will still be there, but I think he, we kind of know what Brenton Strange is at this point. I want to see what Theo Johnson can do. I think that potential is is through the roof with him. Um, I'm hoping he gets more of that tight end one role this year. But yeah, in total with this offense, the, the key story is Sean Clifford just cannot turn the ball over. You know, he's got to he's got to be a rock back there. You know, make the routine plays. Don't have to be Superman, and open up holes for the running game and, and get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. And this, this offense could, could do some damage. They really can. 
Now we talked about Aidan Connell versus the Penn State uh, secondary. Uh, looking at the Purdue secondary last year, it was a very int- interesting uh, stab line when you look throughout the the game logs. So early, early in the season, they started really hot. I mean, season over against Oregon State, they did give up 285 yards. Oregon State turned out to be a good team last year behind uh, with a good passing offense. Uh, but after that, they gave up 99 yards, 223, 100. 169, 195, and 52. However, once they got into the back half of the schedule, the secondary really started to struggle against some of the better passing offenses. Nebraska against Nebraska, 269 yards. Michigan State, 276 yards. Ohio State, 361 yards. Um, they did do good against Northwestern Indiana, but two offenses last year who passed a game were, you know, below average to uh you know, even to bad, but to finish off the season against Tennessee in the Music City Bowl, uh, 378 yards allowed. So we saw as the season went on that Purdue secondary, while it started off hot, really started to develop holes against the better passing offenses. Which, seeing that they did lose a few guys from last year, including Marvin Grand and Dedrick Mackey, I I, I do think that this Purdue secondary could still be good this year, but if they weren't able to cover high-powered passing offenses last year with everybody, I'm not sure they're going to be able to cover Penn State for four quarters on Thursday night. You look at this Penn State wide receiver room, it's talented, it's deep, and it's fast. Um, Anthony, before we went live, you brought up a good point that how is Purdue's secondary going to be able to stay with this Penn State receiving room throughout the game. Because, I mean, Parker Washington, uh, Mitchell Tinsley, Keandre Lambert-Smith all have elite speed. Um, and and the list goes on. There's there's guys in that wide receiver room who uh, just have what, you know, people like to call SEC speed. But um, I, I just don't know how Purdue for four quarters will be able to keep Penn State's wide receiver room in check. I think they could have a good first half, but I think as this game goes on, uh, Penn State's wide receiver depth and speed is just going to be too much for that Purdue secondary. Yeah, the only only thing I would add there is I think you can probably sense a little bit of a trend here. We mentioned about receiver. We mentioned the trenches that in the end, just the depth and the, the talent gap on the roster is probably going to prove to be what breaks in Penn State's favor more than anything else. Agreed. The one the one matchup I will be intrigued by is what Purdue uh, plans on doing with junior safety slash linebacker Jalen Graham. He can play both positions. I, I think he's kind of going to be an X factor of that Purdue defense. He, I think – I think we may see him quite a bit on uh, the tight ends because Penn State obviously has an athletic tight end room. I think we see him there quite a bit. But with his versatility, with his athleticism, uh, I expect to hear his name called early and often on Thursday night. And like I said, I expect him to be a uh, X factor. If somebody on the Purdue defense is going to make a big play, game-changing play in the passing game, I expect it to be Graham. Uh, so I expect them to be playing matchups with him all night long. Uh, again, I expect him to be on the tight ends quite a bit, uh, which should create some intriguing matchups as well. Uh, 
Anything else you guys want to talk about this Penn State offense versus Purdue's uh, defense? I mean, offensive line versus defensive line, I think is probably quite even. Purdue's defensive line, even last year, was really never overly dominant. George Kalakis was their best defensive lineman, of course, but he was double teamed for most of the year, if not triple teamed. But even with him being double teamed and triple teamed, they, they really didn't rack up many sacks or tackles for a loss. Now, without him, I, I don't think we're going to see everybody else, you know, take a big step forward. And then with Penn State's offensive line, obviously, as you guys said, more depth than they've had the last few years. I'm not expecting a huge jump in game one, but it should still be somewhat improved from last year. Uh, but I think, I, I think two big, you know, matchups in this game are uh, Penn State's offense versus the Purdue secondary and Purdue's offense versus uh, the Penn State secondary. Are there any other matchups that stick out to you guys? Uh, no, I think we've highlighted a lot that that's that's really going to be the story of the game, you know, especially for you know Purdue versus you know the Purdue's offense versus Penn State's defense is just the secondary versus the quarterback. You know how how is that going to hold up? I will say the one matchup that I think could be intriguing for from Purdue offensive standpoint is tight end Payne Durham versus the Penn State linebacker uh, room. Uh, Penn State linebacker room, of course, isn't as deep as it has been the last few years. Uh, Durham is a very athletic uh, tight end who uh, can be very effective in the passing game at times. Uh, so that could create an intriguing matchup. Is, is there any worries on your guys' part about uh, the tight end room matching up against uh, Payne Durham and the rest of Purdue's tight ends? Or just in general going forward throughout the year? I mean, with linebacker, we've talked about the concerns, but I'm not worried about linebacker in a situation like this because you can take Curtis Jacobs, who's going to be more athletic than probably any tight end. You're going to try and put him on all year. Uh, my concerns for linebacker are going to be against an Auburn and Michigan and Minnesota. A team's going to look to line up and play bully ball and run it down your throat. But for this game, I, I think they'll be fine at linebacker. I think you're going to see a 4-2-5 defense pretty much all day long for Manny Diaz. I think he's going to – Manny's going to do that a lot in general – especially against teams can throw the ball as much as Purdue. You're going to see a lot of Daquan Hardy, a lot of Johnny Dixon, a lot of Jalen Reed instead of a true third linebacker. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i a big fan of the fit of a guy like Jalen Reed going up against the tight end. Just a, you know, a bigger body guy that if he needs to you know match up with a tight end, he can. But you know he's also got some coverage skills. I think this is a game where we could see a lot of Reed factoring into that 4-2-5 and it making a lot of sense. All right, uh before we get to predictions for the game, everybody give me uh, one player on Penn State to watch, offense or defense. I, I will go first. I'm going to go with Mitchell Tinsley at wide receiver. Parker Washington, I think, is obviously going to get a lot of the you know attention from Purdue's secondary. Uh, but I think Tinsley, uh, this is a great opportunity to show uh, Penn State, uh, the coaching staff and fans alike, uh, what he can do in this offense. I think he could be in for a very big season. And if at the end of the season, if his numbers and Parker Washington's numbers were comparable, I, I would not be shocked at all. I'll say Adis Isaac, um, big game for him back for the hasn't played since 2020 with the Achilles or ankle, whatever it was. Um, I think this is a good matchup for him. Uh, he's a pass rush guy. Purdue's going to throw the ball a lot, like we've said. I'm sure he's going to be motivated. 
to come out and, and make a splash in his first game in almost two full calendar years. So I'll go with Adiz Isaac. I'm going to go with Olu Fashanu for mine. I've been saying it since the Arkansas game. If this offensive line is going to show improvement, I think a lot of it is going to hinge on Fashanu's improvement and ability to be the linchpin of this offensive line as that stalwart left tackle. You know, if he can, you know, be the guy that can open up the holes to allow the running backs to run through and protect Clifford's blindside effectively, that changes the entire outlook of not only this offense, but the entire team. And I I would be, it it would be wrong of me not to mention one other thing about this game that I think could play a big factor. Uh, The kicking game slash special teams. Um, now, I, I think Barney Moore will be fine as Penn State's punter. I don't think Penn State fans should go out there and expect him you know, to be uh, a Jordan Stout or a Blake Gilligan, but he should be able to do a quality job. Uh, but if this game comes down to field goals, Penn State's in a very interesting spot. Jake Pinnaker has not, has not shown consistency through his career. I mean, he, he barely played last year. Um, on the other hand, for Purdue, they returned Mitchell uh, Finneran, who last year was 24 for 29. Uh, now, only kicked one field goal longer than 40 yards. But, I mean, 24 out of 29 uh, shows, you know, rather quality consistency. Uh, if this comes down to field goals, are you guys concerned? Yes. Um, I I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't trust Jake Pinnegar. You know, I was really hoping that Sanders Sahadak would win the job in the offseason just because I think we know what Pinnegar is. We we know, like, his inconsistencies. We know he's hit or miss. I, I don't trust him to make a field goal outside of 40 yards. I don't trust him to make one outside of 35 yards with any level of consistency. I hate to be hard on him but he's in year four or five and we still have these issues. So yeah, if it comes down to a game of field goals or it comes down to a clutch moment where he needs to make it, I'm going to be sweating bullets like nobody's business. I don't trust Jake Pinnegar to make an extra point, let alone any sort of field goal. Um, if this thing comes down to field goals, I'm, I'm going to be, I'll be a hot mess. It won't be pretty. All right. With that, let's make our predictions for this game. Gentlemen, Penn State, as of Tuesday night, is a three and a half point favorite over under set at 52 and a half here. Um, what's everybody's predictions for Thursday night? Uh, Marty, let's start with you. I am going to take Penn State and I'm going to take the points as well. I think that this is a game I could see it being close two and a half to three quarters. As we've said, though, in the end, I think the depth of Penn State wins out. It's too much for Purdue to handle. I think Aiden O'Connell makes a costly turnover in there somewhere. Give me the Nittany Lions. I'll say 34 to 21. I'm also going to take Penn State and the points in this one. This is going to be one of those games where Penn State either runs away with it or they lose a close one. But I think that Penn State's going to win this game. I've got them winning... I'm going to say 30 to 24. I think it's going to be a little closer just because it is game one. This team always makes you sweat it out in the beginning of the season in games like this. But I I do think Penn State will win, and I'm going to take the points. Okay, both of you have Penn State winning and covering the spread. I, too, am going to take Penn State to win and cover the spread here. I think 
as we talked about, I just think Penn State's offense on paper is too much for Purdue in this one. Uh, I'm not concerned about Penn State going into a hostile environment like this. They've played in much more hostile environments, especially Sean Clifford. Now, if this was, say, Drew Alar's first career start in this situation, I think you should be you. There would be some right to be concerned, but with Sean Clifford, I, I think there shouldn't be any concern about this going into a hostile crowd. Um, how Penn State is going to be in a more hostile crowd uh, in two weeks when they go down to Auburn. Uh, score wise, give me Penn State 30, 38. Sorry, Penn State 35. Let's go 35, Purdue 27. Uh, I think Penn State's going to be all right defensively, but I think Purdue will get their fair share of points here just because uh, Aaron O'Connell is such a good quarterback. Um, all right, so uh, all three of us have Penn State winning. And all three of us have Penn State uh, covering the spread. So we'll see uh, how that turns out. And if we're right, uh, Congratulations to everybody who used our picks to, you know, bet. If we're wrong, uh, it wasn't us, and this isn't gambling advice. Anyway, you guys ready to make some picks on uh, some of the other big games this weekend? Absolutely. Rapid fire. Let's do it. We're going to do this both straight up and against the spread. Also, Thursday night, 7 p.m. ESPN. West Virginia versus Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is 7.5-point favorite. The backyard brawl is back. Uh, what's everybody got here? I'll start off. Give me Pittsburgh to win, but I'm going to take West Virginia to cover the seven and a half points. Uh, I would 100% agree with you. I think Pitt's the better team in this one. They're at home. I do expect them to win this game. However, I think with it being the first backyard brawl in a long time, I think West Virginia is going to be pumped up for this one. It's going to be a very close game throughout, and I think Pitt's just barely going to squeak one out in the end. As much as I would love to see the Mountaineers travel from Morgantown up to Pittsburgh and just smack them around, um, I think West Virginia is not a very good team, and I think Pitt could be pretty good again this year. Uh, so I agree with you guys, Pitt wins, but I am not going to take Mountaineers to cover. I will say Pitt wins and that they cover. All right, moving on to Friday night, 7 p.m., uh, I'm not sure which one, which channel this game is on, but Virginia Tech travels to Old Dominion. The Hokies a seven and a half point favorite. The big storyline here, of course, is Brent Pry versus Ricky Ronnie. Uh, Brent Pry's first game as the head coach of the Hokies. I'm going to take Virginia Tech to win this game. Um, and at seven and a half, it's interesting because the Virginia Tech offense, I'm not expecting to be very good this year. Uh, ODU, we know, can be a very explosive offense. Getting Virginia Tech to win, and I'll take the Hokies to cover, but just barely. I think about a 10-point win here. To me, this is easy. Brent Pry's defenses are good. Ricky Ronnie's offenses were not. Give me the Hokies and the points. Yeah, I like the fun reunion story. It would be kind of fun if James Franklin showed up at the game to watch. I don't think he's going to. I think he said on the record that he's not. It's going to be a working day for him. But I, I agree with Marty. I, I think this one's pretty cut and dry. I mean, Virginia Tech's defense 
is probably going to be better than we expect. And even if their offense isn't that good, I still don't think they're going to be as bad as old, old Dominion's defense. So give me Virginia Tech to win and cover. Uh, and then you did bring up uh, the note about Franklin traveling. Franklin did say he would not be at the game on um, on Friday night. But he did say that a couple of the coaches' uh, wives, as well as some kids, will be traveling down the game for a nice little reunion, uh, which uh, will be nice uh, to see, of course. All right, we move on to Saturday. We go to 3.30 p.m. on ABC Georgia versus Oregon. Dan Lanning, first time head coach of the Oregon Ducks, goes back to Georgia this game in Atlanta take on his former program in the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia, 17-point favorite here. Um, give me Georgia to cover uh, – sorry, give me Georgia to win. Give me Oregon to cover, though. I think I think the Ducks are still a very talented team, very good team. I think they will they have a very good uh, front on both sides of the trenches, uh, which should help in this game. Uh, but, again, I just don't think Bo Nix is going to be, you know, good enough to win the big game here. Uh, I think – Georgia wins probably by 14 points, but give me uh, Oregon to cover that 17-point spread. Yeah, 17-point spread feels like a really big one for a borderline top-10 matchup. I mean, listen, I think Georgia's clearly the better team, don't get me wrong, but, you know, this kind of gives me the vibe of, you know, when Oregon went to Columbus last year and played Ohio State. I don't think the result is going to be the exact same. I don't, I'm not expecting Oregon to pull an upset here, but... I think it's going to be closer than people think. So, yeah, give me Georgia to win, but Oregon to cover. That's where I'm at. I think I think Georgia wins and probably wins it comfortably, but Oregon covers. Um, like you mentioned, Dylan, in the trenches, Mario Cristobal recruited Oregon like an SEC school, so the physicality is not going to be an issue. But I definitely could see this being one where Georgia gets out to like a 17-7, to 20-10 kind of lead. They know Oregon's offense is not going to threaten them, and they just kind of sit on it and just get the win and get out of there. So g- give me Georgia to win, and probably in a game where they never really feel threatened, but I, def- I definitely think Oregon covers the 17 points. And going back, uh, the Old Dominion Virginia Tech game, for those interested in watching, is on ESPNU on a Friday night. Again, that game kicking off at 7 p.m. All right, also on Saturdays, number 23, Cincinnati versus number 19, Oregon. Uh, sorry, Cincinnati versus number 19, Arkansas, 3.30 p.m. ESPN. Uh, Arkansas, a six-point favorite here. Give me the Razorbacks. Give me the Razorbacks to cover as well. I I just I don't think the Cincinnati offense is going to be the same without Desmond Ritter. Yeah, this one's a tough call for me. I like Cincinnati a lot. I like Luke Fickle a lot. Um, agree with you losing Ritter is a big blow, obviously, but I, I just think Arkansas in the end are more athletic. Um, I definitely think Arkansas wins. I go back and forth on the points. I'll, I'll say give me the Hogs in the points, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them only win it by two or three, even for Cincinnati to win it outright. Yeah, you know what? I have this one as a toss-up, and just to be different from you guys, I'm going to say Cincinnati wins it outright. You know, I've, for anybody that's been uh, following uh, this podcast for longer than we've been associated with Rivals, you guys know I've always been a huge fan of Cincinnati and that, and that program and the way it's run. So I'm going to say Cincinnati is able to pull the upset here. All right. Next game up on our slate uh, will be 
number five, Notre Dame versus number two, Ohio State, 7.30 p.m. on ABC. Ohio State, a massive favorite in this one at 17 points. Uh, Give me Ohio State to win this game outright. Give me Ohio State to cover this. I just don't trust Notre Dame's uh, offense and quarterback situation hands to this game. Uh, Ohio State, on the other hand, I think the defense will be vastly improved, and I think they have the best offense in the country. I actually 100% agree with you. I try not to like just agree with you every single time, but even going back when we were doing this years ago, we always had the same mind when it came to this stuff. I I just like you said I I just don't trust Notre Dame's offense. We'll see what Buchner is at quarterback. I, I just don't know with Marcus Freeman. You know, I, we saw his first game already, but like what he's his offense, what his identity is going to be. So I, I just think this Ohio State team is going to put up a lot of points, and I struggle to think Notre Dame is going to be able to compete with that, even though it's such a big spread. So yeah, give me Ohio State to uh, win and cover. Um, and the exact reason it's really just vibes. Yeah, give me the Buckeyes to win and cover. As we talked about in the last show, I think Ohio State gets to the national championship game this year. I think that might be the offense, best offense in the country this year. And Anthony made a good point on Marcus Freeman. A lot of times with defensive-minded head coaches, we see them be afraid to open the offense up. What is and isn't he going to allow Tommy Reese to do here in Columbus opening night? The place is going to be rocking. Give me the Buckeyes and the points. I, this is one that it wouldn't surprise me if it, if it gets out of hand in a hurry. I actually forgot one game. Our final game will make it uh, at 7 p.m. on, I believe it is ESPN. Yes, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Number seven, Utah travels to take on the Florida Gators. Utah, three-point favorite in this one. Utah, a lot of people are already selecting to be, you know, a, a potential college football playoff team this year, a Pac-12 champion. But this is an incredibly tough game for the Utes to open up the season. Uh, They have to travel to the Swamp uh, to take on the Gators. And, you know, Billy Napier has turned around programs quickly in the past. There's a big part of me that wants to take Florida to win this game outright because I'm I'm just not sure Utah is is, – I'm not always one to take in, you know, weather and where the game is being played, but – and I, while I think the swamp isn't, you know, the most intimidating atmosphere, uh, Utah's never played in this type of, you know, humidity and weather, which uh, can play a quite a bit of a factor here compared to Florida, you know, who who plays in this type of weather all the time. A- am I crazy for thinking this? I understand your train of thought, but I think one thing you need to take in consideration, part of the reason Kyle Whittingham has built the program that he has in Salt Lake City is due to his ability to recruit the state of Florida. So it's not like a lot of these, a lot of the important kids on Utah's roster are not going to be foreign to this kind of stuff. Um, I also think with the Utes, it's, they're my pick to win the Pac-12, or at least get to the Pac-12 championship game. Um, Now with the comp, now with the divisions abolished, I think they get there and play USC. Um, I think they're a great football team. Wouldn't surprise me at all to see make a run to playoff. I think they win this game. I think, I mean, it's only three points spread, so obviously I'm going to take them in the points here. <clears throat> but to me, the biggest thing is Utah may not have the athleticism Florida does, but when Utah comes out and punches Florida in the mouth, how are the Gators going to respond? Because in recent years, Florida hasn't always responded well to that. 
And I don't know if that physicality is there quite yet. The Florida is going to need in a game like this. And I think that'll be the difference. Like I said, I think when Utah comes out and they punch Florida in the mouth, they throw that first haymaker. I don't know how the Gators will respond. I think it'll be a very close game. I could see it being a back and forth game. But in the end, I think Utah wins. And I think one thing that could be key to watch here is at the quarterback position, I would trust what Utah has and Cam Rising a lot more than whatever Florida is going to wind up throwing out there between Anthony Richardson and the receiver situation of Florida is a mess. I think that could be a big factor too, where if one of these quarterbacks need to make a big throw late, I would trust cam rising a lot more. So give me the Utes and give me the points. I don't even know what I would say to potentially follow that up. That was just perfect from start to finish. I feel like Marty's biggest fan today on the podcast, but he's just been absolutely crushing it today. Yeah. Give me Utah on the points. I just don't trust Florida yet. I don't trust their physicality. And I think Utah, I'm super high on that team. I think Cam Rising is a, a Heisman dark horse this year. And I, I just think that they're going to surprise people. And I think they're going to, they might not run the table. I think there's a loss in there somewhere for them. But if there's a sleeper playoff team, in my mind, it's the Utes. Despite everything I said, I'm also going to go Utah uh, to win and outright win this one. That being said, to hedge my pick here. I don't know what you're going to be doing on Saturday, Marty, but I'm definitely going to be having some parlays where I have the Gators in there, uh, you know, to strengthen a parlay, maybe win a few extra bucks. Because I do think there's a chance they win this game, but I, I do think Utah does win. Um, so give me the Utes to win. Give me the Utes to cover. Uh, but don't be afraid to, you know, sprinkle some Florida into your parlays on Saturday. Um, outside of that, any other games you guys will be watching this weekend? Before we wrap this up. I mean, if there's a game that's on my TV, I'm going to have it on. It's the first full Saturday slate. I am, I cannot put into words how excited I am to wake up Saturday morning, throw on game day, and just know I'm going to be parked in front of my TV till 1 o'clock in the morning, just taking in every amazing second of college football. Yeah, I got one game that you didn't mention that I thought you might. The uh, It's also on Thursday. Thursday night slate is actually pretty fire this week. But the uh, Central Michigan-Oklahoma State game, 7 p.m., Fox Sports 1. Oklahoma's 21.5-point favorites, but don't sleep on Central Michigan in that one. You know, they beat them. Uh, they upset them a year or two ago in a, at well, Stillwater. Put down game. Put down game. Yeah, it, it would not shock me. I don't think Oklahoma State's going to lose that game again, but it would not shock me if Central Michigan covered and, and kept it close. And if you're a Penn State fan, it's a good game to check out since uh, the Chippewas come to Happy Valley later this month on September – or sorry, next month, technically, but in September on September 24th. Um, yeah, I, I, another game where just from a betting standpoint, I really like – Illinois plus three this weekend against Indiana. I don't think Indiana is going to be very good this year. Illinois' offense, I think, is much better with uh, Tommy DeVito at quarterback. Uh, so I, I do like Illinois in that game. Uh, with that, uh, before we actually wrap up the podcast totally, we actually um, have a special guest this week. Uh, every week this year, we're going to have a special guest picker. And this week is actually – our sponsor, Adam Goldman. Um, so let's kick it over to our interview with Adam and get to meet Adam and get his picks for these games this weekend. And now we're joined by Adam Goldman, a franchise coach. Uh, Adam, our listeners have heard a lot about your services 
of course, over the last few episodes, but I thought this would be a great time to get you on and have our listeners learn more about yourself. So, uh, first of all, how are you doing uh, today? I'm doing great, Dylan. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, so uh, college football started last um, week, obviously, with week zero, week one, about to begin on Thursday night. Uh, what What's your uh, fandom for college football like? Uh, who, who do you follow? Uh and uh, how excited are you for college football to be back in our lives? So I'm so great question. I am so I'm a Big Ten guy as well. So um, I like college football in general, but I went to Illinois. I hope the listeners won't won't hold that against me. But we were excited. I mean, we did beat Wyoming last week, so that that counts. A win is a win. Uh, it absolutely is, and I, I think uh, I actually like the Illini this week as well against uh, Indiana. I think Tommy DeVito brings a whole new uh, kind of game to their offense and allows them to be more explosive. So I, I'm looking forward to see what the Illini can do this year. Adam, and how did you get into uh, the, the field you're in now with franchise coach Donnett? So That's a great question, Dylan. And uh, look, I kind of got into this business by mistake. Uh, so just to give you a little background on myself, um, in 2008, I, I'm a real estate investor. Uh, I found that uh, there was some opportunities to invest in real estate in the last great recession. And by the time 2009 or 2010 10 came along, I was finding that these deals were just kind of um, not happening as easily as before. And so one of my friends introduced me to a franchise coach who connected me with a company uh, that was in the office cleaning industry. Uh, and I started that business in 2010. And that was going really, really well. I uh, built that up in the Houston area. Uh, but what I found is that uh, it was a lot more fun to start the business uh, than it was to kind of run it after doing it for eight and a half years. So someone that owned a market close to me uh, decided to, uh, to invest in my business and, and my market and to, to decide to, to purchase it from me. I wasn't looking to actively sell. And uh, when I owned this business, this franchise business, I was on the side kind of doing as a hobby, frankly, doing matchmaking for different franchise opportunities. Um, I went through the same process myself over a decade ago, and I started out and did on the side. And, and when I sold my business, I was kind of in a transition, and I kind of stumbled into this full time. I've been doing this role as a matchmaker for about six years now. Um, of that, around five, four and a half years have been full time doing, and I absolutely love making great connections throughout the United States between franchise brands and people that want to become entrepreneurs. That's an awesome story. And those who want uh, to give you a call or go to your website, franchisecoach.net, should they have any sort of background or uh, do you recommend anything for them uh, if they want to use your services and potentially uh, you know, become an entrepreneur or open up any of their own franchises? So what the one requirement, Dylan, is – and one of the best things about franchising, by the way, is there's a misconception that you have to have industry knowledge ahead of time. Um, franchising is one of the most amazing businesses in that you don't, they actually don't want you to have knowledge before. They kind of want to uh, teach you how to do things their way. What I would say the one requirement is, is that there is a financial requirement to invest in franchises. You need to have at least $50,000 in cash and have a net worth of, a list of at least $150,000. Uh, and that's, that's, there is financing available. That's typically the minimum. Now, people that aren't necessarily there right now, they sometimes have financial partners, either friends or family members, to help them to uh, reach that limit. 
And if, if they do meet those requirements, they can give you uh, a call at 844-800-3726 or go to franchisecoach.net. Uh, and your consultation process is 100% free, correct? That's correct. If I make a match, it's uh, it's uh, it's basically I make a commission on the franchise brand side. So it's 100% free for people to talk to me and to get advice. And what people tell me is that my big value is I'm able to allow them to focus their efforts on three brands that would match them the best, as opposed to spending a lot of time on Google and not and not really necessarily uh, focusing on brands that are a good fit for them. Sure. And uh before we get into our college football picks, is there any um, advice you would give to anybody who uh, perhaps is around my age, you know, maybe early to mid twenties and would like to become an entrepreneur or uh, eventually get into the field? Uh, is there any advice you'd give them? So it's or anybody you ask, ask me that. So look, that's wonderful because what I would say is this: um, one of the things that people, I was in my early thirties when I started in franchising. Um, anyone that's in their 20s or 30s, the one thing that you have that you tend to underestimate as being an advantage is energy. Energy is not going anywhere, right? I wish I had the energy and drive that I had in my early 30s or late 20s. Uh, and I, I, the, kind of th the thing that I really like about being in the 20s or 30s is you're in a situation where you can kind of mess up. It's okay, right? You can go for the moon, right? And you can kind of uh, recover from that. You don't necessarily have the same sort of encumbrances as people like myself in my 40s, uh, where you have a family, you, you need to kind of, you need to pay a mortgage. Um, and that allows you to kind of be more risk-seeking, right? I mean, some crazy business uh, when it comes to investments, uh, some people recommend getting margin and things like that, because if, it, if you mess up, you still have a lot of years to kind of catch up, right? So. Um, I find that people in their 30s that have the right mindset and the right sort of energy can really succeed in the franchising world. Great. And uh, you ready to get into uh, your picks for this week? Yes. Let's do it. Do you want to go uh, team by team or should I just do it or what would you like for me? How do you want to do this? Let's, uh, let's just I, – I have them in front of me. I'll just run through uh... – the games we have and you can give me uh your thoughts uh on the game and your picks uh and i'll let you know uh what we uh picked uh, ourselves in the game okay do you want me uh, okay go ahead great do you want to do you want me to say for the by the spread and in general or, or not uh you you could give your straight up pick and then give your pick against the spread okay fair enough let's do it all right all right all right uh starting off the backyard brawl uh, this weekend uh, on Thursday night, West Virginia visits Pitt. Pittsburgh is currently a seven-point favorite in this game. Uh, us host uh, all picked Pitt to win straight up, and then we went uh, West Virginia to cover. Um, two of us went West Virginia to cover. One of us went Pitt to cover. So, who do you have winning this one straight up, and who do you have covering that seven-point spread? I, look, I, I have to say that uh, took some notes here. Um, I think Pitt has lots of depth, right? Um, and uh, I just think that um, West Virginia is really going to struggle against uh, the uh, the offense is going to struggle against the the Pitt uh, defense, right? They have one of the best defensive sure. linemen in the country. I'm gonna I hate to say it because I like West Virginia a lot as a as a as a culture and everything else. If I can say that to Penn State uh, or not, but um, I just think Pitt's going to cover and win the game. 
That, that's a, a very fair. I think Pittsburgh definitely has one of the best defensive lines in the country and is going to give that West Virginia offense a lot of trouble this week. Another big storyline to watch in that game, of course, is the battle of two former USC quarterbacks in Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels. Uh, we move on to the next game, which is Virginia Tech at Old Dominion. Not a game we'd usually pick, but with both uh, head coaches in this game, Brent Pride, Virginia Tech, and Ricky Ronnie at Old Dominion, uh, being former Penn State uh, assistants, uh, we had to go with this one. Virginia Tech occur- currently at an eight-point favorite. Um, in this game, we all picked Virginia Tech uh, to cover and win uh, this game straight up. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to go a little bit different here. I'm going to uh, pick old dominion uh, to actually cover meaning it's seven and a half percent. I had seven and a half points, excuse me. Right. They're, they're seven point uh, underdogs, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen multiple lines go anywhere from seven to eight. So what's ours? Is it seven and a half or what, what is it? Uh, let's go seven and a half. Uh, okay. I just, it up again. I, I, I see seven and a half right now. So, okay. So Virginia Tech's zero and four against the spread in their last four non-conference games. So I'm going to take Old Dominion uh, to cover, but I'm going to take Virginia Tech to win. I I almost went with Old Dominion covering myself. Uh, Ricky Ronnie's offense at Old Dominion can certainly score points with the best of them, and Virginia Virginia Tech's offense isn't exactly uh, a world beater. So. Uh, I do like that pick. Um, Old Dominion has on, 17 starters back from last year. Yeah, that, it's a big point as well. And I, I I know Virginia Tech brought in a nice quarterback in Grand Wells from Marshall. But first game in a new system can always be challenging as well. Uh, so I, there are definitely lots to like about Old Dominion here. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if they actually pull this off uh, as a true just straight-up victory as well. Moving on, we got a, a big one. Uh, Oregon versus Georgia in Atlanta. Georgia, a 17-point favorite. Kind of a big spread for, you know, two teams that are very much on the national stage. Georgia, of course, the defending national champions. Oregon, new head coach and Dan Lanning, but still has plenty of talent uh, on the field. What are you feeling between the uh, Bulldogs and Ducks here? I think that Georgia is going to win, but I'm going to pick uh, Oregon with the spread. And the reason why is I just can't see – I think 17 points is rich, whatever that is, for a number 11 team. I mean, don't forget, Oregon has a history of upsets away, right? So um, I just lost keep, keep, in mind, keep in mind, Oregon's returning with their line. And Georgia, I think, is the team that's lost the most starters to the NFL. So I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited about the Ducks in this one to at least cover. But I do, do, do still think that Georgia will win the game. It- and that is what we actually all agreed on earlier on in the podcast. We all picked Georgia to win straight up, but we all have Oregon covering this. Just, I think, too many points for the Ducks here, uh, or sorry, too many points for the Bulldogs to have to cover here, especially when, you know, it's week one. That offense wasn't exactly the strong point last year. It could take a little bit for that offense uh, to get up to speed. And defensively, like you said, they lost quite a bit of talent. And while Oregon lost some talent as well, they do – return um a nice front uh there on the offensive line and have a great um uh, group of uh skill players on their offense um moving on we have arkansas vor- versus uh cincinnati arkansas a six and a half point favorite cincinnati of course 
was the Cinderella darling of the college football world last year, made it to the college football playoff. Arkansas, a little bit of a Cinderella team last year themselves, had a really good season, beat Penn State in the Outback Bowl to finish their season. Um, in this game, we have, um, looking at it here, looks like Arkansas to win. Two of us have Arkansas to win uh, straight up. One of us has Cincinnati uh, to win. And uh, I'm the only one who picked Arkansas to cover at that six and a half point spread as well. So I'm going to go uh, Cincinnati to uh, to go ahead and to cover the spread, but I'm going to have Arkansas winning that game. Uh, I that is uh, what the other two act. Sorry, that's what our co-host Anthony actually has going on in this game. Uh, I I like Arkansas handed this year. KJ Jackson quarterback. Uh, should be one of the better ones in the SEC. Cincinnati, I just don't know if their offense will be up to par this year to pull off such an upset. Uh, moving Dylan, on. We, for, we forgot uh, Penn State. Yeah, yeah uh, let's actually get to that one. Um, Penn State, three-and-a-half-point favorite over Purdue here on Thursday. Um, we all have Penn State winning and covering this one at three-and-a-half points. What's your feelings on this game? Well, this is a nit. This is a Nittany Lion podcast, right? So I'm going to pick Penn State as well. I'm going to be a homer here. Um, what I can tell you is that Purdue really has the edge at quarterback, but they really don't have a strong running game, and they they don't really have their top two receivers anymore. Um, and uh, Penn State's nine and two against the spread in their last eleven September games. So I give them the edge in this. Absolutely, and I agree with Aiden O'Connell having the edge where Sean Clifford entering this game. Uh, I think Purdue will be able to put up points, but I just don't know if uh, they'll be able to do enough against this strong Penn State defense. Uh, and like you said, uh, they do lose their top two receivers from last year. Um, another Big Ten game here, uh, not conference game, but a, a big one, Notre Dame at Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State, a 17-point favorite here. That's a huge number, but uh, the rest, myself and the rest of my hosts are very confident on Ohio State entering this year. We all have Ohio State winning and covering this game. Just think their offense may be too much for Notre Dame to handle in this one. I'm going to agree on that. Ohio State cover uh, the spread and win. Uh, the reason why is they have the big playability that Notre Dame doesn't have. And I think that's, the, that's really what they have. Uh, and, they, and keep in mind, too, uh, they have the, this year's Heisman favorite uh, drive me offense for the Buckeyes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think the Buckeyes uh, have a great chance to uh, – Penn State fans won't like to hear this, but I do think the Buckeyes have a great chance to win the national championship this season. Just I think the best offense in uh, all of college football. And then if their defense can be up to par this year, it's going to be hard to uh, knock them off. Um that is our six games that we have uh, for you to hear to pick today. Uh, I, I think I, I like most, I mean, all of your picks. Uh, I agree with most of them. Uh, and we'll, we'll have to see how you do, and then we'll see how the rest of our guests do the rest of the season and uh, see who the best uh, predictor was this season. Uh, before we let you go, is there anything else uh, you would like to you know, uh, say to our listeners? Thank you so much, Dylan, and I'm excited to be on this podcast and to do this every week. I really enjoy this. Absolutely. We'll have you back on, I'm sure, soon enough. Uh, 
So thank you, Adam, for coming on today, and we'll be sure to talk to you real soon. Have a good one. Thanks again, Adam, for coming on today's podcast, and we'll be sure to have him on again in the near future. If you made it throughout the entire episode, we thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you from myself, Marty, and Anthony. We'll be sure to be back with another episode, hopefully on Friday or Saturday, to recap Penn State's uh, uh, season opener against Purdue on Thursday night. Until next time, everybody, enjoy the rest of your uh, week. Enjoy the Penn State game on Thursday night, and we'll talk to everybody real soon.